I noticed that my anxiety, it was really running wild. I was having pretty drastic mood swings. And so I realized I really needed help. And I spoke to a counseling center. Hi, and welcome to Working Well. I'm Suzanne McCabe from Life Switch Coaching. And this podcast is about helping you to thrive in your career and your life. If you want to overcome workplace stress, build your confidence and get work-life balance back in your life, then this podcast is for you. Today in Working Well, I'm excited to welcome author Melanie Gibson to discuss how to talk to your boss about mental health issues. Melanie says she faked being fine for many years in the workplace while dealing with poor mental health. Melanie, thanks for coming on Working Well today. How are you? Thanks for having me on the show, Suzanne. I'm doing well, thank you. That's that's good. Um, you know, Melanie, uh, in Scotland, we would say that you've been through the mill. And by that, I mean that you've had a tough experience. So tell us your story, please. Okay, thank you. And I'm trying to think of a good Texas equivalent for that because that's where I live, but I can't think of one right now. So maybe I'll come up with one later, some kind of cowboy <laughs> saying. But um, yeah, so I I live in the United States. I uh, lived uh, the life that most people think you're supposed to do, get an education, get a job, have a career in the corporate world. And I've done all those things. But at the same time, I've suffered from mental illness that started manifesting when I was a child with depression and anxiety. Bipolar issues started to manifest a little later as as did an eating disorder. I struggled with that all through my teens and 20s, always hiding it, going back to that faking fine. And I didn't get diagnosed with anything until I was in my early 30s when I sought help from a psychiatrist and a therapist. And that was a good baseline for a while. Um, I got into martial arts a few years later, then that really helped me get a handle on my mental health. Um, But that's a continuing journey. I'm not cured of anything. I live with it. And even in this past year with the pandemic, and the pressures of uh, working for a healthcare organization during a pandemic and living in the United States during the pandemic, I've had a lot of pressure on me. And I've in fact gone back into mental health treatment for uh, my eating disorder, finally getting that under control and dealing Uh with anxiety and just kind of the situational things that have come up. So it's been an ongoing process. Okay, so you've clearly had different bouts of poor mental health throughout your life. How did that manifest in the workplace then? Because I know you you have a story around workplace mental health. So what happened at work? I would say I hit it pretty well. Maybe if I go back and ask other people, they may say otherwise, because I know I've had my moments of being grumpy or anxious or maybe blurting things out, but I think I hit it pretty well. And that's not necessarily a good thing. I think I built up a facade of perfectionism to my detriment. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, I don't want to blame the culture, but I will say working in corporate America, there is a certain kind of um, expectation that you you have no emotions in the workplace, okay. that you do your job and uh, you, you live for your job, which I don't do, but that's that's very prevalent in American work culture in the United States. But I did feel that pressure. And even working for a healthcare organization, which I've worked for for nearly 20 years, there's still a stigma. Um, it's it's uh, still kind of frowned upon to have a breakdown or to 
get angry or to be sad or to admit that you're too anxious or too upset to do something. It's, it's taboo to say, no, I can't uh-huh. do that because of my mental health. Yeah. So basically what you're saying is you have hung on to a facade for years of being yes. okay in the workplace because of the culture at work where you were expected just to say yes to everything and just go on with it and you had to be okay. So um, it wasn't okay not to be okay kind of thing. Yes. Like I'm wondering if you got to a point where you'd kind of had enough of that then? Yeah, I'd, I'd probably had enough for a long time, but I kept hiding it. And that's uh, the bad thing is if, if you're good at something, you get rewarded with more good work and oh, yeah. people think you're, you're super reliable. And they say, well, well Melanie, you're so good at this. Mm-hmm. Here, we'll give you more of these assignments, mm-hmm. more of those things that I don't necessarily like to do, but I may be good at doing. And it really came to a head this year. And so a little bit of backstory, as I said before, I work for a healthcare organization. It's a big hospital system. I am not a frontline worker. So I don't want to compare my struggle to the nurses working in the ICU. It is much, much, much more difficult for them. So I do not want to get into that spotlight. However, it has been still stressful for those of us who are supporting those on the front lines, for those of us working in HR and I work in training and development and, and uh, uh, technology, IT and all of that. So it, it still has been stressful because there have been big changes to the organization that affect everybody. We've had a lot of pressure to either stop projects we're working on or to speed up projects we're working on. And a lot of that was happening at the beginning of this year, because I think we kind of had this idea of, oh, we're, we're starting to come out of this pandemic. This was uh-huh. before the Delta variant hit Texas pretty hard. Mm, of course. And so there was a lot of pressure to get this certain project up and running off the ground, which was a good thing. It was a good thing, um, but it was kind of unnecessary pressure. And a lot of us, even my boss, just felt beaten down emotionally from the pressure on us to work, 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 get this done, get these things done in a very short amount of time. And um, I noticed that my anxiety, which has always been with me, but I've controlled with medication and, and other types of activities, it was really running wild. I was having pretty drastic mood swings, which is someone with bipolar disorder that can happen but that's mostly been under control. I even um, increased some of my medication because the mood swings were happening so rapidly. Uh-huh. And I also noticed, I didn't really notice, but it came out uh, in an intake conversation that I was restricting and doing some eating disorder behaviors, like uh, obsessively weighing myself, obsessively counting exercise, uh, obsessively tracking the food I was eating. And so I realized I really needed help. And I spoke to a counseling center And uh, kind of the funny thing with the eating disorder was I was in such denial that I didn't say to them, I think I have an eating disorder. It wasn't until they asked me, are you restricting food? Are you doing some of these other behaviors? And I was honest about it and said, yeah. And they said, we think you have an eating disorder. And I'm like, okay, well, I'll add that to the list of diagnoses. So um, it, but it back to the story with work is that it manifested through uh, an eating disorder that's been throughout my happening throughout my life and really high anxiety. So I sought help from a counselor, but that still wasn't enough. I was getting the treatment that I needed to stop the immediate crisis, but I knew something needed to change. So for a long time, I worked on a letter that I was not going to send to my boss, but it was a speech I was going to give. Uh, We've been doing our work virtually. So we, we use Microsoft Teams, very similar to Zoom. So we're having a virtual call like you and I are doing right now. And I 
read this letter to her and said, and, you know, I'll give the short version is that I am struggling. I'm having mental health problems. And some of that is exacerbated by the work that we're doing. And I need some understanding and I need some help. And we had a really great conversation. We didn't necessarily, we didn't walk away with that with immediate solutions. And I didn't expect that. And that, that was okay. I didn't come out of that expecting it, but it felt so good to finally admit to somebody that I was struggling. That's the first time in my working life and I've worked since I was 16 and I'm 42 now. That's the first time I've ever admitted that I'm not okay mentally and I need something to change in the workplace so I can be okay. Wow. That was a really brave step that you took to uh, read that letter to your boss and, and offload how you were feeling. We have a saying we, uh, that a problem shared is a problem halved. Mm-hmm. You, know, you share your problem and it becomes almost easier to deal with because you've spoken to somebody about it. So your boss then, you, you clearly had a positive conversation. So what was the reaction from your boss then to what you said? She was quiet. She listened. So she didn't interrupt while I was reading my letter. And and so if any bosses are listening, that's some advice I I have to give is that listen clearly. Um, She she asked a few questions, but she didn't probe too much. I think she could tell that this was a huge step I was taking to admit this. Um, It helps that she has a background in social work. So she may have been using those skills at the time. But she listened. She was very empathetic. You know, she said, I'm sorry you're feeling this way. I understand. I want to make sure you are getting what you need to be able to feel happy and to, and to also do your job. And so, and so she said, let's, she committed to said, let's continue this conversation. Let's continue to keep talking about it and make sure we're, you know, doing the right thing that keeps me in a, a stable mental state. Since then, I have been able to get some accommodations that I need through uh, the Americans with Disabilities Act. I'm not sure quite what the equivalent equivalent is in the UK, but in the United States, we have the Americans with Disabilities Act. And that that covers a whole variety of things. I mean, it's everything from requiring a building to have a wheelchair ramp to getting certain accommodations that you need at work. So if you have a visual disability, And um, this is the first time I asked for help for my mental health. Um, And it's been very interesting because I've been going through a physical issue at the same time. I have had a major injury in surgery. And it was interesting to see the juxtaposition of that, of how easy it was for me to talk about my physical health problem and ask for help and accommodations around that. But it took a lot of time and thinking and effort to admit that I needed help with my mental health problem too. And I needed some accommodations for that as well, uh, which my boss has been fully supportive of. And, and she checks in with me once in a while and says, you know, are you okay? Is this too stressful? Is, is this along the lines of what you need? So we're still figuring it out. Um, But I'm, I'm so glad I had that conversation. It sounds really empowering for you. And I can see that you don't have, the complete solution but that you are keeping the conversation going and by doing that you it sounds almost like it's sort of gradually getting better for you as she learns what you need and you understand more about what you need and you're just kind mm-hmm. of building on that 
Yeah, I think so. And you said understanding more of what I need. And I think that's something that's happening gradually too, Mm -hmm. is I'm understanding more and more of, okay, these certain things are stressful to me. These certain things are things I like to do. Um, This is where we can compromise. And I'm still figuring that out. I think part of it is I'm still getting used to admitting to somebody else that I have a mental health issue and I, I may need some help with that because I've hidden it for so long. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so I'm still getting used to being able to talk about it with someone. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, I think, you know, you, you were talking earlier about um, adjustments and we're the same over here. So an employer has to make reasonable adjustments if you have a, it's a physical or mental health problem. Um, you know, you can go to them and say, well, this is what I need in order to make me more able to work in my job, if you like. So in your case, you spoke to your boss, she was quiet and she listened and she's been supportive and she's helping you and learning more and more about what you need. I'm just wondering, some people will approach their boss and they might not get that support. So I had quite a positive experience with my boss where I remember phoning him up and saying, I've started getting panic attacks and I'm just finding I'm really tired just now and it's difficult to concentrate. And uh, he said, well, as long as it's not affecting your work. And I remember putting the phone down and thinking, yeah, it's really affecting my work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, Actually, I need to do something about this. And at that point I went and I spoke to my doctor and uh, I ended up getting a long, long period off uh, my work because I was just burned out, really. So I think in a way my boss kind of pushed me to, to take action. But I'm thinking, you know, this was a guy I could go to quite comfortably and speak to about my mental health. But not everybody has that in a boss. So what do you suggest people do if their boss isn't supportive of good mental health? That's a great question. And I think if anything good is coming out of this pandemic is that there is more progression towards understanding of the mental health needs of everybody. Now I have diagnosed mental health issues. I had uh, my medical provider provide paperwork to get me these Americans with Disability Act accommodations. Not everybody can do that, but that doesn't mean we're not all entitled to a workplace where we feel like we can be the most efficient and productive and comfortable as possible. We're, we're all entitled to that, regardless of whether you have a diagnosed mental health issue or not. And I think it's, it's so dependent on the situation and the relationship that you have with your boss. So I think one of the things you can do is first uh, find out what your rights are. So um, in, in the United States, it may be speaking with your human resources department or the UK, there's probably an equivalent of that, a personnel department or human yes, resources department yeah. and finding out what your, your rights are as an employee. Um, you do have to think in mind of what's in it for the company and they are paying you to do a job. So as you think about your solutions, you still have to think in mind, how can I still get the work done that I'm being paid to do? If, if you decide yeah. to stay in this position, if you mm-hmm. decide some, sometimes the choice is to look for work elsewhere, but if you don't do that, or if that's not an option, you know, be proactive about it and think about what would the benefit be for 
the company if you are working from home or if you are working flexible hours or you're working in a different location or um, maybe working with different people. What's the benefit to you and what's the benefit to the company? And, and I hate to sound corporate America about that, but that may be the way that you sway the boss who isn't as open to mental health needs is saying, look, it's going to benefit me, but it's also going to benefit the company in these ways. So yeah, first thing is figuring out, you know, what the policies are in your workplace, what the human resources policies are, but then also um, presenting kind of what the problem is, how it's affecting you, how it's maybe negatively affecting your work, and then how a change could positively affect you, your team, your boss, and the workplace. And I did think about those things, even though I knew my boss would be receptive to it. I did still think about all of those things because I knew, and this is my advice to people who want to have this conversation. I didn't want it to just be a venting session where I just dumped this or dropped this bombshell on her. She didn't know about this. So I I was going to surprise her with some new information. I didn't just drop the bombshell and expect her to fix it. I planned it out. I told her I wanted to have a conversation. I didn't send her a text it you know, 4.59 p.m. before we stopped working or uh, an email on a Sunday night or anything like that. I I planned it out and picked a good time. And so, and over time, I thought about that too, is I'm still being paid to do a job. And so uh, what can I do to make sure I'm fulfilling that end of the obligation while still taking care of my health and putting my health first? Yeah, absolutely. So for someone considering having this conversation with their boss and maybe they're a bit reluctant to do it keeping in mind that yes it's about their mental health but also they're an employee within the organization and to consider what the impact is if they can get support and the difference it will make within the organization Mm -hmm. um you know in a way it's almost selling selling the idea of getting support to your boss isn't it I mean I, it is. I know I, I do it myself you know I uh, I've recently developed a, a well-being app for employees in the workplace and that's exactly the kind of stuff that I talk about on my website on on the page about the app you know yes it's about employee well-being and increasing their confidence increasing their resilience of course it is but it's also about you know, uh, the employee being productive. Um, if they're happier at work, they're going to get on better with other members of their team. And ultimately, it's better for the, the bottom line of the business, isn't it? So um, so there's always going to be that aspect. And, and that's the part that the organisation is, is really interested in, is mm-hmm. how, how does this affect our bottom line? And to me, spending on well-being is a win-win all, all round. You know, there's been studies done by Deloitte a few years ago where they discovered that for every pound you spend on employee well-being, that you can get a return of between £1.50 and £9. So that's a potentially huge return on investment um, just by investing in employee well-being at work. So, Melanie, I believe you've written a book um, and I'm interested to find out a bit more about that. Can you tell us about that, please? Yes, thank you for asking. So I have written a book. It's a memoir called Kicking and Screaming, a Memoir of Madness and Martial Arts. And it was released in April of 2021. 
And it's the story of my mental health journey from uh, my young teenage years through my 20s, mostly through my early 30s. And I mentioned earlier that I started getting treatment for my mental health problems when I was about 30, but I was still struggling with a lot of emotional ups and downs. Um, I was at a good baseline. I, was, I wasn't going to harm myself or anybody else, but I was having poor relationship problems, uh, emotional ups and downs. I was making bad choices. I was miserable. I was uh, drinking whiskey for dinner. Uh, so I, I like whiskey, but it shouldn't be your meal for the evening. <laughs> and yeah. so I decided I needed to do something drastic. I needed to stop chasing boyfriends who weren't interested in me. I needed to stop drinking so much. And so I decided to go back to a childhood activity, and that was Taekwondo, which is a Korean martial art that's very similar to karate. It's very popular around the world. Mm -hmm. I had done it as a child out in the small town in West Texas where I grew up. And I, I'd never really thought I'd go back to it. Once in a while, I'd remember it fondly and think, oh, yeah, that was fun. I don't know if I'd do it again. But then I started to think about it more and more. And so then I thought, well, why don't I just do Taekwondo? This, this last relationship I was in didn't work out. I've got nothing to do. Let's do Taekwondo. And so I started searching for schools in my area where I live. I, I live in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. And I discovered that the grandmaster of my childhood instructors out in West Texas operated his school in the city where I live now which oh, wow. he, he always had. I wasn't aware of that. It's about, <laughs> um, I'm sorry, I won't be able to convert kilometers, but it's about 250 miles uh, west of here. It's that's about a three, in, in Texas, we talk in, we, we speak in hours with distance. So my town was about four hours distance from Dallas, Fort Worth. So um, he, he used to come to our test center tournaments and I remembered him. I just never really knew that he operated a school in Fort Worth where I live now. So I started training with him and I started over as a white belt. And because I needed that fresh start. I mean, I remembered some things, but it had been 20 years. Uh -huh. So I, I needed to start over and it felt like a fresh start in a lot of ways. I was getting a fresh start on my mental health journey and getting a fresh start as a martial artist. And it just took off. I just fell back in love with it. Oh. The, the discipline, the self-respect, the sense of community that I didn't know I needed was there. And I saw how, as I was growing as a martial artist, it was also changing how I approached the rest of my life. Um, if you read the book, you'll see there's a toxic relationship that takes a little longer to get away from, but I still grew from that experience too. And so the, the book is a parallel story. It's the story of going from a white belt to a black belt in Taekwondo. And it's a story from going to, from a very broken person to a person who's overall happy and confident and self-assured and self-reliant and uh, in a much better mental place in life. And even though since then I've had some mental ups and downs and struggles, I've still been able to retain some strength and perseverance that I've gotten from Taekwondo. So it's been life-changing and that's what the book is about. And it's, it's written for people who are a lot like me, who may seem perfect on the outside, but they're hiding in plain sight. And I know a lot of people in the U.S. and the U.K. struggle with mental health. I think the statistics are about the same, about one in five adults have some kind of mental health problem. That's mm -hmm. a lot of people. Yeah. And it's not all people in mental hospitals. It's not all, all the people attempting self-harm or anything like that. It's not always those extreme cases. It's people like exactly. me who just go to school and go to work and pretend that everything's okay. Yeah, absolutely. The, the statistics are high. I think it's one in three will have a mental health problem in their lifetime. 
So yeah, the statistics are, are just far too high and uh, a lot of people do try and cope alone, unfortunately. Um, so your, your book sounds amazing and I like the parallel of going from white belt to black belt and kind of the transition of you going from poor mental health to self-assured and confident. And with the caveat that, yes, you sometimes have challenges. And I think that's the important thing, you know, even as a coach, I'm always very keen to say, you know, I still have challenges with my mental health. Um, I might talk about um, different methods to overcome stress and anxiety and depression. So, you know, I need to use those as well. So, yeah, I think it's just part of the journey. It's just keeping working on that. You know, um, my my equivalent, you, said, you talked about Taekwondo, my equivalent is choir. So my mental health had been poor until I went back to singing. And I noticed a very quick, sudden change in my mental health um, when I started going back to my choir. So, yeah, that's my equivalent. So this book of yours, uh, where can people find it then, Melanie? They can find the book on uh, any bookseller, of course, on Amazon.com and Barnes and Noble and the large things like that. And I know people in the UK have bought it. So I've heard heard from some readers. So I think if you go to the, the Amazon equivalent for the UK, you can find it um, yeah, on bookshop.org, IndieBound, things like that. So your, your local bookseller should have it again for international listeners. Amazon's probably the best place to go for that. Absolutely. Good. And where can we find more about you? I have a website called littleblackbelt.com. So uh -huh. it's a little play on the term little black dress because little black belt's a great accessory <laughs> like to have. So it's a blog that's mostly about martial arts. I, I have some guest writers on there too who write about martial arts. You can find uh, links to all of the podcasts that I've done and articles that I've written uh, since my book has come out about mental health and things like that. So there's a, a media page on there as well. As far as social media, I like to connect with people on there. I'm most active on Instagram uh, and sometimes Facebook. Um, I'm at Melanie Gibson author. And I also just recently started a comedy podcast oh, wow. uh, with my, yeah, with my partner. So we call it movie painter pleasure. And we, we watch movies that, that aren't that great. And we determine if we, we're just going to be angry the whole time or if they're a guilty pleasure. So uh, that's something that we just started. You can find a link to that from my Instagram page, Melanie Gibson author. So uh, go to that. Uh, you, you're going to get a different version of me that you're getting on this podcast right now. You're going to get a very silly, funny version. Oh, I like that idea. So we'll, we'll get the whole 360. Yeah. So we'll, we'll get a little black belt and we'll get the Instagram and your comedy podcast as well. So what I'll do is I will put those in the show notes so people can uh, catch up with you through those links. Okay. Well, Melanie, it's been a real pleasure chatting to you today. And I know listeners will benefit from your experience and wisdom on disclosing mental health issues at work. Thank you very much for coming and chatting to me. And we'll catch up soon. Thank you, Suzanne. If you'd like to know more about what I do here at Life Switch Coaching, then you can go to my website at www.lifeswitchcoaching.com 
or you can email me at suzanne at lifeswitchcoaching.com. That's S-U-S-A-N-N-E at lifeswitchcoaching.com. Thanks very much for listening and take care.